We're going to be in Isaiah chapter 9 today. Isaiah chapter 9. And if you don't have a Bible, there should be a Bible around, and one of the chairs there will be on page 573 in those chair Bibles. Uh, and if you would, would you please stand with me as I read God's Word? Isaiah chapter 9 in verse 1. But there will be no gloom for who who was in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelled in a land of deep darkness, on them the light shined. You have multiplied the nations. You have increased its joys. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest. And they are glad when they divide the spoils. For their yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulders, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the trampling warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. Verse 6. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace there will be no end. And on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice, with righteousness, from this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. The word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this word. Thank you for this prophecy, this section of scripture that was written 700 years before you came. It was foretelling your birth and who you would be. You would be born of a child to become the incarnated king. And you will rule us forevermore. And so, Lord, I thank you for this time and this season. And as we come in here, Lord, I pray if there's anyone in here who's weary, that you would give them rest. If there's anyone in here who has, has, is sad and is mourning, I pray that you would comfort them. If anyone in here is feeling worthless and, and wonders if you care, Lord, I pray that you would wrap your love and grace and truth around them. If anyone feels like they fail I feel, uh, or who has failed, I, pr- I pray you give them strength. If anyone again in here needs a comforter, a defender, a justifier, if anyone in here needs a friend, Lord, I pray that today they would turn to you, the great king who longs to be with us, who longs to lead us, who longs to guide us, and most of all, who longs to love us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You guys can go ahead and have a seat. Well, guys, as you know, we, I love Christmas, and many of you love Christmas. And I want to open up with a question for you this morning. It's a two-parter, two-parter question, all right? What is the best Christmas present you ever received? Okay, that's the first part. Think about that. What is the best Christmas present you ever received? And the second part of it is, what is the best Christmas present you ever received that keeps on giving? That keeps on giving. 
Uh, some of the greatest gifts that I got came in the late 1970s and early 1980s, right? Uh, there was a big movie release this past week. So can you guess what those little Christmas gifts that I received that keep on giving are? Star Wars figures. Star Wars ships, right? I started collecting those in 1977 and the very first Star Wars came out. And they were a great joy to me. I, I played with them throughout my childhood, but we kept them. And as you know, I had five kids. We had five kids in seven years, and they enjoyed all the Star Wars figures and all the ships. And then many of your kids who have come over to my house have enjoyed them. So over 40 plus years, these are the gifts that keep on giving. I can remember uh, little Liam Volsky that would come in. Typically the routine is uh, the kids would come in and they know, oh, they're going to the Santini's house. And they go straight downstairs, straight to the Star Wars figures. He would pick them up and I would hear Liam playing in the bows, you know, the lasers, pew, 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 the crashes. And then I'd hear Darth Vader say to Luke, Luke, I am your father. And little Liam would be like, no, you know, like, I was like, yes, Devin and Amber raising their kids up properly, right? Awesome. Well, of course, we come to celebrate the greatest gift is that of Jesus Christ, the incarnated King. And the question I want you guys to think about today is this. This is the question. As as we come this morning to worship Him, how do we respond this morning to the greatest gift ever given to humanity? To everyone who walks planet earth, how do you respond to Jesus He is the incarnate king. He is the gift that keeps on giving. Not only for now while we're on earth, but for all eternity. So how does that impact you today as you walk out those doors? First, we see in Isaiah chapter 9, verses 1 through 6, we we see the gift of the incarnated king. The gift of the incarnated king. And quickly, we have to again understand the context in which this prophecy, this promise, this gift was given. Rich uh, opened us up in Isaiah chapter 7 uh, a couple weeks ago and gave us a great overview of what's happening. So I'm just going to briefly go over it. If you want more detail, go listen to Rich's message in Isaiah 7. But we know that um, uh, Assyria is, is coming against Israel. Israel has been split up into two kingdoms. You have the northern kingdom and then you have the southern kingdom. And we see in Isaiah chapter 7, uh, the southern kingdom's king was this guy named Ahaz. And God comes to him and says, hey, I'm here for you. I want to serve you as as these nations are coming against you. I want to protect you. Just ask anything you want of me, and I will come and be your rescuer. And of course, Ahaz has fear. He lacks faith. He disobeys the Lord and goes a different route. Because of his disobedience to that command of of God, uh, judgment and darkness and oppression come on the people of Israel. And when we come to Isaiah chapter 8, the last verse in verse 22 says this. This is the context in which this promise was given. And they will look to earth, but behold, distress and darkness and gloom of anguish, and they shall be thrust into thick darkness. It was a time of a deep valley. It was a time of trial. It was a time of suffering to the nation of Israel. Is anyone there today? Is anyone there this morning? Can anyone relate Does anyone have a a fear this morning? Is anyone suffering this morning? Maybe even facing some persecution this morning. Hear the promise of the incarnate king for you, just as it was given for Israel hundreds of years, thousands of years earlier. 
But we see that the Lord God does not forget about Israel, and he promises them a future rescue through the gift of a child who will again become the incarnate king. Look at now chapter 9, verse 1. But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former times, the times of being in captivity, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the later times, the future, he will be made glorious the way of the sea and the land beyond the Jordan of Galilee of the nations. Verse 2 says, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness, on them the light shone. Look at verse 4. For the yoke of his burden, the staff of his shoulders, the rod of his oppressors, you have broken as on the day of Midian. And, and what a, a Jewish person reading Isaiah chapter 9 in that day would, would think about or remember, in particular looking at that day of Midian, they would be reminded of the Lord's rescue of the nation Israel from the Midianites. And if you guys were around a couple years ago, they would, uh, when we went through the book of Judges, that's where that story is. And they would immediately go to that rescue where, where Gideon raises up an army. And he starts out with, I don't know, like 10,000 soldiers, but he ends up with 300 to go against 100,000 soldiers. And God gives them great victory. And this is what he's saying to us in Israel then and to us now. He says, I will rescue you. I will rescue you like I did in the days of Midian. I will bring you out of darkness and into the wonderful light. And this is what the promise is. And so we go on to say, well, the next question is, well, how is this rescue going to happen? How is the Lord God going to accomplish this? Is he going to do it through war like he did in Midian's, or there's going to be another way? And what we see again is we see it's going to happen through the gift of a child. A gift of a child who will become king. And that brings us to Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders. And immediately when we read Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, we notice something immediately different about this king, about this child, as opposed to any other child that was born in human history. We see here that he will be both human, he will be both divine, and he will be a king. So we're going to take briefly a look at those three. First, for to us a child is born. This is what we're celebrating every Christmas. That Jesus was born in a manger as a baby. He was a child that was born. And, and what, does this, what does this mean? I mean, we, we, we hear about this all the time. We, we've been talking about the last four weeks. Heck, we talk about it all the time throughout the year here. The incarnated, that Jesus is both fully man and fully God. But I want us to stop and pause and just think about that for a second. And the weight of that. It's amazing to think through because Jesus before this was in heaven. He's being worshipped by myriads, hundreds and hundreds and thousands and thousands of angels worshipping. He was orchestrating the stars in the sky, the planets in their orbit. Everything that happened on planet earth, he was orchestrating and moving to his desired end and will. And then all of a sudden, he's in Mary's womb, right? He's in a placenta in Mary's tummy. He's being fed by the umbilical cord. That is attached to Mary and the nutrients there. He's being nourished through an umbilical cord. He was born in all the goo that accompanies birth, right? He had to grow teeth so he could eat. He had to be potty trained. 
He grew up and he had to learn his ABCs. He grew up and when he was growing, he got tired. I mean, think about those times when he's in the ship where it talks about that he was asleep. I mean, at first, can't you see Jesus like, you know, just kind of nodding off and like waking up and like, you know what? I mean, he was human. He got angry. He got frustrated. He wept. He felt pain. Suffered. One of my favorite verses regarding Jesus and his humanity that really connects us to him is in Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews 4.15 says this, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast to our confession, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect, in every respect, has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. If there's anything that describes humanity in a Genesis 3 world, is that humans battle sin and temptation, right? And what this is saying is that Jesus walked in your shoes. Jesus walked in my shoes. He understood that they, the struggle is real, being a human in a Genesis 3 world. And yet, he was without sin. He prevailed perfectly. I mean, then it goes on in verse 16. Because of his prevailing perfectly without sin and being tempted that we are, it says, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in a time of need. I mean, this should just comfort your soul and my soul this morning. This is one of my favorite verses. A lot of times when people ask me to pray for them, what, what I will respond is like, absolutely, I'll pray with you. And I'll say this, I lifted you up before the throne of grace this morning or today. I lifted your request up before the throne of grace. And the reason why is, and I want people to think of this verse in, in particular, because it talks about Jesus' humanity. He walked again in your shoes and my shoes. And so when you ask me to pray for something for you, he knows exactly what you're walking through. He knows exactly what you need. And he will answer accordingly. This is a child is born, his humanity. Second, we see a son is given. And here is, we see that Jesus is a gift. He's a son. This talks about his deity. Notice that he existed before he was born. He was a son and then he was given. John 3.16 says this, For God so loved the world that what? He gave his only son. This is what's crazy in the incarnation. It's amazement. There's a mystery in the Trinity that Jesus is the only person who ever existed before he was born. Try and wrap your mind around that. It's impossible. There's mystery there. But this is the mystery of the Trinity. And so again, I want us to pause because this verse is familiar with us. For many of us, this doctrine of the doctrine of the incarnation is familiar with us. But what I want us to do is I want it to be more than just kind of a Christmas ornament that we take out once a year and we put on the tree and we just look at it for the, you know, for a month or so. I want us to be amazed at the gift of the incarnation. This is how Charles Spurgeon described the greatest gift ever given to humanity. He, he described it this way. He said, the invisible became visible. The untouchable became touchable. The transcendent one descended. The unlimited became limited. The infinite became finite. The unbreakable became breakable. The independent became dependent. The almighty became weak. The exalted was humbled. The love became hated. Spirit became matter. Eternally, eternity entered time and glory was subject to shame. This is what we're celebrating. This is the, the, the amazing gift of the incarnation. 
And then finally, we see that the lordship, the sovereignty of this incarnate king and the government shall rest upon his shoulders. This rescue that's going to come in this time of darkness to Israel and to us is through a king. It's through a kingdom. It's through a government. Now, we should just pause and, and, and maybe be a little bit skeptical about that. Our salvation, we're going to be rescued from darkness through a government, through a king, through a monarch. Like We, we know what happened in history, and it hasn't really worked out well, right? And even again, for us to grasp this or even desire this, because here in America, our lifestyle, our culture, our country was founded in rebelling against such a government, wasn't it? We rebelled against England and the monarchy that they had, the one sole king. But as we just read and as we're going to see in the coming verses that this king, this kingdom, this government is altogether different than anything in human history. There's a story about a monarch who uh, took off his royal robes twice a year and would go amongst the people. And back then it was before Facebook and Instagram and all that stuff. So most of his people didn't, couldn't recognize the king. He would just dress in regular people's clothes. He would go out within his, uh, you know, his country and he'd walk with the people and he'd talk with the people. His, his, his advisors hated this because of what security reasons or whatever, but he did it. He insisted that he did it and he insisted that he go alone. And he said this, the reason why I do this is because if I'm going to rule my people, if I'm going to guide my people properly, I can't do that unless I know how they live. And, and that's a great illustration for Jesus. And in, in a way, yes, Jesus is fully God. Again, he was in the throne room of heaven, but he came down as a human to see how we lived so he could rule us better. And so this morning, as we celebrate the incarnation, this, this king, I want us to see that Jesus created the earth that we live in. And then he came and lived in the earth that we inhabit it. And he's coming back to rule the earth. And what we see there is we see divinity, we see humanity, and we see him in his sovereignty, wrapped up in his one remarkable king. This is who's going to rescue Israel. This is who's going to rescue us this morning. Secondly, we see the incarnation king's character, his character in verse 6 in the second half of that. It says, For us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called what? Wonderful Counselor. Wonderful counselor. These are, these are titles. These are characteristics. These are attributes of the king. He's, he's this wonderful counselor. It means it's extraordinary. It's glorious. He's magnificent. He's a counselor. He instructs. He guides. He advises. So he's a wonderful counselor. He gives extraordinary instruction. He gives magnificent advice. He gives glorious guidance. This wonderful counselor. Now we live in a world of perpetual counsel and advice, don't we? We turn on the TVs, we see all the different TV talk, talk shows, right? Uh, we go to YouTube, we can go to uh, all the podcasts, and there's anything, any topic out there, there's something on there where someone's giving you advice or counsel on some things. Our friends, our family, who are all experts in life, right? And they, 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 they're ready to share in a, in a heartbeat, whether you want it or not, their counsel on how you should live your life and how you should run certain circumstances. We are inundated with counsel. But here's the deal. Not all the counsel that we receive, and probably a lot of it, is not wonderful counsel, is it? It's not wonderful counselor. 
Uh, and, and let me get you straight. The Lord does use all those things in counsel. I believe that God's truth, all God's truth is, all truth is God's truth. And so you can learn truth from TV shows and talk shows and YouTubes and podcasts and family and friends and professionals. But the tendency for us is that's the only place we go for counsel and advice on life. And if that's the only place that you go, and that's the only place that I go, if we're going to build our lives on that council, it's not going to last very well. A Danish proverb says this. It says, he who builds a house with every man's advice will build a crooked house. A crooked house. But here's the deal. Not, 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 not if we go off the wonderful counsel of King Jesus. His counsel is always wonderful. His counsel is always true. His counsel is always exactly what we need in that moment. Mark 6, 2 says this, And on the Sabbath he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were astonished, saying, Where did this man get these things? What is this wisdom giving to him? In John seven forty six it says this, Never did a man speak the way this man speaks. Jesus is the wonderful counselor. So here's, we, here's what a couple things that I want to pick out and throw out to you. Uh, ladies, you want to know how to deal with a stiff-necked man or a thick-headed man? A husband, a father, a brother, a friend? Just ask Jesus how he dealt with Peter, James, and John. Men, you want to know how to deal with emotional women? Your wife, your mom, grandma, or friend? Just ask Jesus how he dealt with Mary and Martha. You want to know how to deal with oppression and injustice? Just ask Jesus how he dealt with the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and the rulers of the day. You want to know how to uh, love and treat people? Look how Jesus treated the poor. Look how he treated the, the sick, the lepers. Look how he treated the rich, the rich young ruler, Nicodemus, and Lazarus. You want to know how he handled stress and difficulty? Ask him about how he handled it in the Garden of Gethsemane. How he handled it when he going through all the different trials with Pontius Pilate. How he handled it when he went to the cross. You want to know how to worship, how to love, how to pray, how to do your taxes? Ask Jesus. All of his answers are perfect. He knows exactly what you are going through, and he has the exact counsel you need. And that should be the first place that we go. We go to the wonderful counselor. Second, we see mighty God. In 9.6, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God. We've just talked about the uniqueness of this child, this king that we've described. He is man, but he's also Mighty God. And think about that for a second. As Mighty God, think about the resources that Jesus has as Mighty God. He has all the authority, all the power, all the wisdom at his disposal ready to be used. He can execute and accomplish all of his wonderful counsel and his desires. And he does it according to his will. He does it according to his glory. But also, he does it, and get this, for your good, if you're in his kingdom. I want you to get that. I want you to, I want you to hear that truth. He's mighty God. And he has all the resources to work for your good, to those who love God and are called according to his purpose. He's executing his will in your life. A regular human counselor can't do that. They can give us counsel, but it's up to you and me then to take that counsel and put it to use and put it to work. But because he is mighty God, his counsel, his words bring life. 
There's life in his words, and it brings life abundantly. They penetrate your heart. They penetrate my heart. They penetrate my soul and my mind, and they change. They transform you and me from the inside out. Only Jesus, only this king, can save us from the domain of darkness and sin and bring us to light. Why? Because he is the mighty God. He is the mighty God. Again, this salvation from darkness and into the light only comes through a kingdom, only comes through this government. This is the only government and kingdom that can save you. And the reason why is because the king is the mighty God. When the Communist Party was starting up in Russia, they would send out their little spokesmen to all the different parts of the country, and uh, they would have this phrase, among other phrases, but they'd go around telling the people, a new coat for every man, a new coat for every man, a new coat for every man. And then finally, one day, another man shouted back when he heard that phrase, a new coat for every man. And this man shouted back, but only Jesus can put a new man in the coat. You see, superficial change will never satisfy the soul, whether it's through government, whether it's through a kingdom, whether it's through a physical appearance, whether it's through a certain relationship. All these things cannot satisfy the soul. All these things cannot rescue your soul and my soul from the darkness and bring us to the light. The only one, the only thing that can do that is the power of the mighty God, is King Jesus and his wonderful counsel found in the gospel. He is the mighty God. Third, we see that he's an everlasting father. 9, 6. Again, for us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father. Everlasting Father. As a father, he provides and he protects his children. He meets our needs both physically and spiritually. When, when we're suffering, he comforts our sorrows by being caring and compassionate. He's massively active in our lives. Some of us in here grew up with not a very good father. Some of us grew up with a a good father. But I want to focus on this about this father, the way Jesus treats us. The way Jesus treats us, the way Jesus loves us as a father is not through conditional love, but through unconditional love. In other words, conditional love says this as a father. Maybe this is the way that you grew up. Son, if you obey me, if you do everything that I say for you to do, then I will love you. That's conditional love. You do this, then I will love you. The love from the everlasting Father, the love from King Jesus is not conditional but unconditional. Jesus says this, I love you first, therefore go and do my will. That's conditional love. Another way to think about it is this. Unconditional love. Man, I messed up, Dad. I, I, I messed up. I've sinned. And the initial thought is, I can't go to my father because I know the consequences. That's what conditional love is, right? I messed up. Oh, man, the last person I'm going to call is my father because I know what the consequences will be for me messing up. Conditional love. Condition, unconditional love from King Jesus is this. Oh, man, I messed up. I must first go to my father. Because I understand what the consequences will be. Will be grace and mercy and love. Will there be, will there be some discipline? Sure. But again, it's under this. It's under this. This is the everlasting Father. Fourthly, we see Prince of Peace. 
For us a child is born, to us a son is given. The government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. He's the Prince of Peace in his kingdom. When he comes a second time, there will be no wars or rumors or wars. There will be no conflicts between nations or between people, but there will be total peace on earth. And the idea of peace here, this word shalom, is, is not just the mere absence of war or conflict, but it's, it's much more comprehensive. In other words, it's this. It's not just the absence of war, but it's all the comforts of love and peace. It's not just the absence of injustice, but it's all the benefits of justice. It's not just the absence of discord, but it's all the profit of unity. It's not just the absence of sickness and disease, but it's the full advantage of perfect health. This is the Prince of Peace. This is what he brings to you and me in this world. This peace that Jesus offers is a state of being in all of its fullness. So it's not just what it's not, but it's everything that it should be in its fullness. These are the the characteristics of the king that is going to come and save Israel and has come to save you and me. He is the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting father, and the Prince of Peace. This is who we are worshiping this Christmas and every Christmas. That brings us finally to our third point, the incarnated king's kingdom. Verse 7. Of the increase of his government and of his peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David over his kingdom, to establish it and uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the hosts will do this. Now, in case you didn't know, I'm sure you guys know, we have an election coming up in 2020, right? Anyone in here didn't know that? No, of course you guys all did. It's actually less than a year away, if you can believe that. Less than a year away. In our great country, we get to vote for our leaders, right? Every four years, every two years, every year, we, we get to vote for the federal level, the state level, and on the local government levels. And hey, it's a great privilege and responsibility. We live in the greatest country ever, and we need to exercise that privilege. It's a great privilege to us to go and cast our votes, right? But if we're honest in here, it can be overwhelming. It could be frustrating even at times. And I don't know about you, but I am not looking forward to the next you know, election cycle this next year. I'm not looking for all the ads. I'm not looking for all the infighting. I'm not looking for all the discord that's going to be sown just so some people will get elected. That's why I love verse 7 of Isaiah chapter 9. Look at verse 7 at Isaiah chapter 9. It's future. This is what we have to look forward to. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. I love that. Don't you? Because what that tells me is that there's not going to be any more elections, right? There's not going to be any more elections every four years, two years, or one year. There's just one. It'll be King Jesus on his throne. We see the first time when Jesus came, he came as the humble servant. He came as the humble servant. And Mark chapter 1 says this, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God has come. Repent and believe in the gospel. The first time he came, Jesus came. He came and he began his ministry in Galilee, as Isaiah 9-2 says. He begins his ministry in Galilee. But the Jesus kingdom was already, but not yet. It began there, but then it started to grow. The kingdom that we're talking about here in chapter, in chapter 9, verse 7, is beyond Bethlehem, is beyond Galilee, is beyond the cross, and looks forward to this future heaven. 
And when he comes the second time, he's going to come as the conquering king, and he's going to uh, accumulate, his, his, his kingdom's going to accumulate, it's going to cons- consummate into the earthly kingdom as well as the heavenly kingdom. So he'll have his kingdom on heaven as on earth. And again, as I said, that means no more election cycles, no more ads tearing each other down or, or people trying to divide people, no more Republicans, no more Democrats, no more Libertarians, no more Independents, no more, you know, presidents, no more. Con- I mean, you, you get the picture. Praise God. We will be ruled by the wonderful counselor. We will be ruled by the mighty God. We'll be ruled by the Prince of Peace and his kingdom will be known and experienced by peace justice and righteousness forever and ever. I don't know about you, but I can't wait for that kingdom. It's already come about in Jesus' first coming, but again, it will culminate in his second coming. But that's not all, folks. There's something else we'll experience forever. Look back at verse 3 of chapter 9. He says this, and see if you guys can get the theme that we will also experience. It's pretty evident. You have multiplied the nations. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoils. What else are we going to experience over and over, forever and ever in this kingdom? Joy, happiness, gladness. A place where there is no sin. Only perfect fulfillment of love and grace and truth. Perfect relationships at every level. This is what's coming. This is what we are celebrating, that the incarnated king, King Jesus, this is his kingdom that is already but not yet, that but one day will be forevermore. Again, I ask you guys, how do you respond to the king this morning? So I want to think about that again as we close. Maybe this is the first time that that you need to respond to this king. And how do you respond to a king? We've all seen the movies, right? When you go into the presence of the king, what happens? You, You bow your knee. You pledge your allegiance. In the Christian faith, that's called repentance and faith. We acknowledge that the king before us is altogether holy and righteous. And that there's been a, a chasm that has separated us called sin. And the only way that we can be invited into his kingdom is to receive what the king has already done for us. Again, Jesus loved us, therefore obey. He came and he lived the perfect life in your place and my place. And he died on the cross for your sin and my sin. And then he rose again. So if this is you the first time, if you, uh, if you aren't in the kingdom of this great incarnate king, how you get in there is you bow your heart, you bow your life, you pledge your allegiance to Jesus through repentance and faith. And if you've, if you've already done that, many of us have already done that, we're already the kingdom, we're citizens in his government, then how do we respond the same way? We come and we bow our knee, we bend and humble our hearts, and we pledge our allegiance to, to King Jesus, not to be saved over and over again, but it's to show him that we we love him. We, we sing with joy. We'll, we'll, we'll take communion with thanksgiving in gratitude. And then we'll walk out those doors as his ambassadors. And as his ambassadors, we're going to have a, a message. And the message is this, that only Jesus can put a new man in the coat. That's our message. So let's, let's look at Isaiah 9 through fresh eyes this morning as we get to worship the king in a couple days. But let's not, again, we don't wait just for one day throughout the year. We do this every single day. He is our king every single day of the year. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this passage. 
Lord, it is a passage that we are familiar with, but yet it's a passage that we come to you today and we are amazed by. That you are our wonderful counselor. That you are our mighty God. That you are our everlasting father. And that you are our prince of peace. And that you came and you humbled ourselves, humbled yourself to become a, a baby born. You walked the perfect life. You die on the cross. You rose again the third day. So that we know that everything you said in the Bible is true. That you are the Son of God, the Savior of the world. And the incarnate King who will rule not only today, but forevermore. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.